Hello, everybody. It's time for our Friday night relaxed Q&A hangout. If you would like to grow as an artist and you can take an art class, we've got everything you need here at ArtProf, critiques, tutorials, professional development, and workshops. Tell me in the chat how your week was. My week was all right. No major stresses. Oh, and guess what, everybody? <laughs> Eric Tomate is doing his Sweeney Todd debut as we speak. <laughs> it might actually be over by now, but it's a very big day for those of us who really like Aaron. So congratulations, Aaron, for your Broadway debut as Sweeney Todd. I'm very excited. And I'm trying to decide, because I am going to see it in March, whether I should not listen to any of the recordings that people post online. But the thing is, I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> it's a long time to see all these clips and not listen to the audio. I'll look at the pictures. But who here thinks I should wait until March to hear the audio? Who thinks I won't last that long and I should just listen to them all? Because <laughs> I do like the idea of the surprise. I just feel like because so many things are immediately available, we don't have to wait so long. In fact, sometimes I don't like movie trailers because they give away so much. And I feel like the movie trailer is almost a spoiler. And I oftentimes would rather just go see the movie without any other assumptions about what is going to happen. Okay. I don't know if I can do it, Ginger. That's really hard because I follow all the fan <laughs> accounts on Instagram. And one of them was like live streaming during the break. I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I could do this. But it's got to sound 10 times more amazing if you see it live and hear it live for the first time, as opposed to having heard all of the recordings. So I'm going to try. I don't know how long I'm going to last. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It seems like everybody wants me to wait. I'm going to try. It's really, really hard. <laughs> well, tell me what projects people are working on, because I don't know why I started another project. <laughs> I have so many that need to be done. And yet some of you may have seen that YouTube video, the short that I posted, I'll put it up here so you guys can take a look at it. But I've been thinking a lot about this disgusting thing that is living outside of my house. It's this wasp nest that they built inside our bird feeder. And it, it's so mesmerizing, but I also think it's absolutely disgusting. It creeps me out so bad. I can't stop looking at it. It's so seductive. And so I thought, oh, it'd be fun to just do a, a quick little thing, a silly little pretend movie called The Nest. And I'll make a poster on that. And before I know it, <laughs> I'm talking to my pretend art director, Ashley, 
about it and she's giving me all this feedback i'm like oh i have to work on it more and now i'm getting into it. i'm like clara you don't have time for this but i guess i don't know some things just they, they keep popping up i can show you guys some of the stills if you're curious i actually just did one the other day that has the full movie treatment and i realized later that it's way too dark it didn't look this dark until i put it on my phone but this is where i'm at and of course ashley has looked at it and determined that it needs a lot of work <laughs> but i did have a lot of fun making the images i can just show you guys really briefly i'm going to make a reel on this that i'll probably be releasing later tonight but I've been doing all these different iterations to see stretching the text, putting it diagonally. This is a different image. There's nothing traditional here. The only thing traditional is I did colored pencil for the text, but everything else is based on my photographs. So I thought this was an interesting test because I am such a traditional artist and a lot of people are saying to me, oh, Clara, nobody does traditional art for movie posters anymore. They're all digital. And yes, that has taken over compared to, say, in the 80s when they were hand painting everything. But I thought this would be a good way for me to explore from a different point of view. And so that's been my little experiment. And I was thinking to myself, oh, I'll make it this one hour project. I'll just throw it together. And of course, now I'm getting involved. <laughs> it's problem. I can't just do something fast and leave it. It has to become something. Like I wasn't even trying to do that. And it just happened. <laughs> and we have Nixis. Nixisis? Is that how you say it? Working on a little gouache painting. And let's see, Lisa baked homemade pizza bread. Awesome. This is a very good point, AA, that you tell somebody about your idea so you can be held accountable to actually do it. But the thing is, I just showed it to her for fun and I wasn't showing it to her to start a project and be accountable. It just turned into that. Oh, wait, you guys, Ashley's here. <laughs> I love that, Ashley. You're here. Ashley is my pretend art director who is a real art director as well. So she's saying, you totally surprised me with the Nest poster. So cool to see you playing around in Photoshop. My Photoshop skills are not where I would like them to be. So I thought, you know, this might be fun to work on one where I'm not just worrying about the traditional stuff because I'm doing the Dune poster for that. And so this is a really good exercise. And Rocky is doing a wood-born portrait of your niece. Well, Ashley, I thought it didn't matter because it's handwritten text. Like, isn't it okay to do that? I hope. Well, let me show you guys actually, because I've never done a handwritten font before. And I was just interested in how I would do it. And it was funny, the process wasn't what I thought it was going to end up being. 
So what I ended up doing is I just did all these pages of colored pencil and I just messed around like this. So these are the actual drawings. And then I printed out the image. I just drew it on manually with the colored pencil. Of course it looks terrible. I know, I know actually it's bad, but I just wanted to see the look of the texture of the colored pencil to see if that would match. And then I went into Photoshop and I changed up the contrast and stuff like that. And what it ended up looking like, and oh no, don't, don't look at this. No, no, no. Ashley's going to be traumatized <laughs> by looking at this horrible poster. Oh my gosh. So I just threw that together. But anyway, I did end up doing something like this where it had this texture behind it because I wanted it to look a lot more coarse. But is, is that okay? I, I thought you were only not supposed to do that when it's a digital font. But if it's hand-drawn, are you allowed to stretch it? Okay, you have to tell me. <laughs> yeah, because apparently that's like a cardinal sin with designers. If you stretch the font, I learned that immediately because <laughs> it was one of the first things I did. Yes, Patrick, cleaning your studio does count as a project. And this is a miracle. Does everybody see this? You can see the floor. I left my studio such a mess for such a long time and I just couldn't find the time to do it. There, it was just so busy, but it was, <laughs> it was a project, it took a little while. And it makes a good point. I love the idea of hand painting movie posters makes it unique in an age where everything is digital. Well, I was thinking actually from an illustration point of view, maybe this is just where I was looking, but I felt like a lot of the people who are doing illustration, especially in editorial, are quite young. A lot of them are 20s and 30s. Here I am, 47, doing this. And also on top of that, I work traditionally. So I, I don't really fit the profile of a contemporary illustrator because I think about that as somebody who works digitally a lot, someone who's younger, but maybe that makes me stand out. Who knows? Or maybe I'm just an old fart. Who knows? Retrospective says, decided to start monetizing my channel and content feels so great that I can have some revenue and I'll think I'll buy a fine liner to celebrate. That sounds like something I would do. <laughs> like, oh, if I do this, I let myself buy this art supply that I don't need. Oh, and everybody, I don't know if you guys saw the unboxing, but I did get some egg tempera supplies in the mail this week. This is Binder. And I also got a set of paints and I need to do a little bit more research before I do a live stream because I have to figure out the paint surface, but this is what they look like. And I'm so excited. I've never done this. And I I've had to hold myself back because I really want to open one <laughs> and try, but I, I promised it would be my first reaction on the stream. So I'll probably do this in about two weeks because I need to read a little bit about it. like I don't want to come on the live stream and know nothing that would be not very productive but also it's to show you guys how you start learning a paint media totally from scratch so actually I'm going to do some reels about how I look for information because gosh there's a lot of information out there it's so overwhelming and I just did a little bit the other day and I, I just feel like I'm sifting through all these articles and you're reading them and you're like, get to the point. <laughs> like you have to search so far 
to find that one piece of information. I was looking up what type of surface to paint on it. And it's like, I couldn't find a straight answer. Tell me in the chat, how many people have had that where you're starting with something brand new, you don't know anything about the material and you're trying to get information and it, it's like this gigantic thrift store and there's like two items in there that I want, but you have to go through everything else. I find it really exhausting because you have to just cut through so much stuff. There's so much filler everywhere you go. Videos where they don't get to the point until 20 minutes in. Oh, okay, good. I, I feel, whew, I feel much better, Ashley that it's okay for me to stretch my handwritten text. Okay, I feel less terrible. Well, I was really happy I could stretch it because actually if you look at it right now, I didn't really like the orientation. I actually ended up changing it so that way it was more tilted. And also to make it fit the format a little bit better was also very important. So I'll go and bring those up again for those of you who didn't get to see it. And, and these, these are not good, okay? This is just Clara messing around and saying, hmm, what about this? What about that? I mean, what sort of blows me away, and I think this is with any art form, there's just so many options. Do I take the text and do I make it tilted? Do I make it straight? It's like, this is one decision and I feel like I could just do this all day. I feel like it's this rabbit hole of changes. And for some reason, I don't feel that way when it comes to painting. Maybe because of digital, the changes are just so much faster to do. Oh my gosh, Evie was a beekeeper. I'll have a bee horror story. Actually, there's that movie that just came out, The Beekeeper. And it has a lot of bees on the movie poster. Oh, so Iron Earth my understanding of why it's not okay to stretch a font and maybe Ashley can be more specific if she's still here basically if you are working on a design movie poster you're working with multiple people so you might have to send that file to the art director you might have to send it to the creative director whatever and i think it's probably a consistency thing where if you start stretching it it's impossible to get it back precisely and so the solution is to find the font that has the correct stretch that you're looking for. So that way there's a, a stable ground because if everybody's stretching it, you can't always replicate it, which I imagine would be a giant pain in the butt. Daisy says, you have any supplies you got from Japan that's hard to get anywhere else? Well, it's funny. I got these fine tech watercolor paints and I was so blown away by them. But then I came to the US and it turns out that they do have them in the American shops. I just didn't know about them. So the fine tech watercolors I got, they're pearlescent. And they're the first pearlescent paints that I've ever tried that actually were good. Like I had these other pearlescent watercolors that were just so wimpy. I mean, they did nothing. You could hardly see the pearlescent quality of it. And I just had sort of given up on that, but I got the ones in Japan that were fantastic. I'm sure there's other things that are not available here, but let me tell you, I went into 
pigment tokyo and i was like oh my god i'm not gonna buy much here because i'm gonna die i'm gonna like liquidate my savings account if i give myself any room to buy things i mean as it was i spent 200 dollars, but yeah i i i'm glad there's an ocean in between me and pigment tokyo if you guys haven't seen it just look up on youtube art prof pigment tokyo and you'll find the video where i nearly stop couldn't stop hyperventilating it was crazy Thank you so much, Rocky, for the super sticker. We so much appreciate your support. Those super stickers, they really do add up, you guys. So keep them coming. They are extremely important for us in terms of staying up and running. And by the way, we are doing a giveaway this week. We are giving away one free session to Open Studios Club. Open Studios Club is brand new. And it's basically work sessions where we hang out on voice together. It is so fun. I mean, I knew it was going to be fun. I mean, that's, of course, why I put it together. But we've had, I think, about four sessions now. It's like a party. It's so fun. We get to hear so many people. We talk about everything and just the diversity. Like when you look at the Discord feed during the live session, it's just this wonderful stream of incredibly diverse work. And so we're giving away some free sessions. If you want more information, go into our Discord and check news. These are the four dates that we are making open for people to claim. So all you need to do is go into the Discord, read news, and there are instructions on there on how to claim a free session. So I hope some of you guys do it because there's a lot of you I've never spoken to on voice and it's just for me, the funnest thing when I get to talk to a new person on voice. Okay, so Ashley explains, digital fonts are purposefully designed. If you stretch them, they distort and it can affect readability. It's the number one no-no in topography. I feel like the equivalent of that, Ashley, is when people change the recipe. So I follow David Lebovitz, who is like my favorite chef. Oh, I'm so obsessed with him. He lives in Paris. And he said that people are always asking him, can I change this in the recipe? And he said that he has recipes, he tests them over and over again. He said once in a blog post that he made his granola bar recipe 18 times. And so of course, the decisions that he makes in the recipe are, are very <laughs> deliberate. They're not there randomly. And I feel like maybe this is a similar thing. It's like people design things to be used a certain way and so when you say, can I substitute shrimp instead of peanuts, maybe it's different. <laughs> maybe the recipe won't taste so good if you make that substitution. <laughs> okay, so Retrospective says for egg tempera, the best option would be a prime canvas, but generally you can also use paper because it doesn't destroy your surface like oil paint. I was reading on a couple sites to use wood panel, and actually I do have a bunch of wood panels from ampersand that I haven't used. The only thing is they're very big. So I might actually go out and just get a small one because when I'm trying a new material, I don't really like to work on a big scale. It just feels a little bit stressful. Yeah, we did do an art dare a long time ago that was to do an imaginary movie poster. So I, I sort of feel like it would be lame for me to repeat it, but I don't know, maybe we need to do it again since it's been on my mind. Oh good, I'm glad Ashley. 
I just pumped out so many. It's just so freaking fast. Like if I want to make a change in a painting, it's a lot. I mean, even having to redraw thumbnails. Although a lot of the times I use tracing paper to do my thumbnails and that's a big time saver because you can do a lot of tracing and get things done really, really quickly. Tali is asking, do you incorporate themes in your paintings? If so, how many do you use? How do you find themes? It's tricky to find a theme. People ask me that all the time. How do I know what to draw and to paint? And I think you can't always count on the theme emerging. <laughs> I mean, it's great when it just happens, but oftentimes, sometimes it's about recognizing patterns to say, oh, you know, I'm noticing that I always look at gnomes in every retail store I go. <laughs> it's just the thing, like I have a really dumb, pathetic, tiny gnome collection. I only have like five, but I really want more. And so every time I go out, I try to see if there's gnome dolls, but a lot of them are kind of pricey. So I don't end up getting a lot of them, but that, that's a little thing that, oh, I noticed these gnomes. Like before I tried to start my pathetic collection, I was just like, why do I always notice those? Out of everything in this cooking store, I'm looking up the gnomes. And so if I wanted to develop that as a theme, what I'd probably do is research gnomes and mythology. And they're in many different mythologies. Maybe pick a particular culture and explore that. So sometimes it's just really simple. Something that is recurring behavior or recurring thing that you just notice all the time because you never know. I mean, the wasp movie poster that I made, that's just because there's a wasp nest inside our bird feeder. And I could just walk by and be like, okay, whatever. But the thing is, like, I get a punch to the gut every time I see it. And like, it, it gives me goosebumps in like a really bad way, but I'm also really seduced by it. And so that's why I ended up using it as a theme because it, it just entrances me in the most disgusting way. Like I, I can't figure out this revulsion seduction play it's doing on me. So yes, there's that. The other recommendation I would make Tally is when you incorporate themes, keep it really simple. Because actually I've been reviewing a lot of people's MFA program artist statements and the best ones are the ones that focus on one theme and not just one theme, a subset of that theme, because there's all kinds of big themes that are very powerful. So you could say loss of cultural identity. That's a great theme, but it's very generic. And so you have to figure out, well, what aspect of cultural identity? There's a million things you could focus on. And so really whittling it down to something more specific is extremely helpful. By the way, I would love for everyone to say hello. If you're a lurker and you never comment, just say hi. I just love it when people do that. I know not everybody's comfortable participating in the chat, but people are really nice here. I love you guys. You make me so proud. It's like, wow, there is a place on the internet where people are kind and supportive of each other. <laughs> I did name my skeleton. His name is Logan. So somebody here has to figure out why his name is Logan. It's not difficult. 
Oh, good. I'm glad it looks scary because people have been telling me that they think I would be good at doing horror movie posters. And the thought of it is awesome. Like, I love that dark, creepy stuff. It's just the coolest thing. But actually, you know something? I never saw a horror movie until I got to college because my parents wouldn't let me watch R-rated movies. And so one of the first horror movies I saw in college was Aliens 2. And I just loved the experience. I was like, why? Why was I never allowed to do this? I mean, I have a kid who loves that stuff. And so she watched Alien and was like, oh, the monster's so cute. Like that's, <laughs> I guess she gets a little bit of that from me. All right. So Lisa H is asking about weekend plans. Lisa Abstracted says, bold marks is my plan for the weekend. I tend to be wimpy with my marks. It's really a great idea, everybody, when you feel is a good time, but just to go through in your head, hey, what are some areas that are gaps in my skill set? Something I just haven't done before. Or what is something that I feel I'm not very good at? Because that's hard to do that. There's a reason why we oftentimes don't address our weaknesses is because it's not fun. It's hard. And it's awkward. Most of us would rather <laughs> just do the thing we're really, really good at. But really, when you target a particular thing in your skill set, that's how you really make improvements because you're getting to the heart of what really could use some work in the context of your practice. And RF says, can you throw dirty turpentine or mineral spirits in the sink? Absolutely not. Nope. That is really, really bad for the environment. So if you have solvents like that, odorous mineral spirits, you need to take them to hazardous waste. And it depends on where you live, but most towns have a household hazardous waste. And usually it's, I don't know, depends on the town, but two or three times a year. So I always make sure that I take note of when the hazardous waste is. Some places have a dump where you can go and dispose of things, but usually household hazardous waste is the way to do that. And Rural Groom says plans for the weekend are to make some newer greeting cards. Good, because lazy people like me never make them. <laughs> so I'm glad that some of you guys do. And let's see. Ginger is telling me you should repeat art dares. Sometimes I want to participate in them, but I end up not having time. Maybe you should have an old art dare. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's really funny, Ginger. Yeah, because we have several years of art dares now. People could totally go back and try one. Oh, it's also less work. <laughs> that I have to come up with a new art dare. Oh, that's very funny. I might really take you up on that, Ginger. And by the way, everybody, if you have suggestions for programming, for live streams, let us know because I oftentimes have no idea what people need. And so if you tell us that there's a certain topic that you want us to cover, we're happy to consider it. For example, we've been getting a lot of questions about archival supplies. And so Lauren and I are doing a stream on that later this month, but we're also gonna produce a bunch of shorts, reels, 
that talk about very specific things about archival materials, because that's something that's really hard to get accurate information about. And what I think is important actually that people don't think about is that sometimes the archival quality doesn't matter. I have so many pieces where I have zero intent of selling or displaying in a museum or something like that, where it just doesn't matter. But I remember, okay, so here's the cautionary tale for everybody to know about. I was probably 23 and the elementary school I taught at had a school auction. And so I thought, oh, okay, I'll submit some artwork for the auction. And I just got out of art school and I had all these figure drawings and they were all on newsprint. And duh, I had no idea. I wasn't even thinking, is this archival? Like it never even crossed my mind. They did not talk about this in art school. And so I submitted these figure drawings and I had these mats that I put them in and somebody did buy one, but it got scraped somehow. And the newsprint was so thin that it ended up ripping a hole. But in retrospect, I shouldn't have done that to begin with because newsprint is so fragile and it turns very yellow over time. Like I have a newsprint portrait that my spouse made and it's actually framed in our living room, but it's really yellow. It's like yellow ochre. And we all know that when you buy newsprint, it's like gray. And so that was a lesson <laughs> learned very quickly, but I, it did not even occur to me. But sometimes you're doing wet charcoal exercises to loosen up and you're using newsprint and who cares? So that's what gets confusing for people is when does it actually matter? Oh, I'm so glad all of you guys are saying hello. We have Margaret, Stephanie, Jody, Emmett, Eli Dove, Natalie, Shanane, Detective, Lena, Benji. Wow, there's a lot of you guys here. I love that. Thank you so much, everybody, for saying hello. Oh, cool. I'm very excited, Teresa. I was so fun to talk to you on the stage session the other day in the Discord. And I think you all have seen that we are offering workshops for March and April. And so that information is on the front of artprof.org. And I just love the workshops. This is where I really feel like I get to know people. And certainly there's other places like the Patreon group and the Discord and stuff like that. But this is so different when it's sort of like art retreat <laughs> where it's like you, you go off to camp together for a little while and this is intensive that happens i mean without all the utah mountains and stuff but it's still really fun so thank you for signing up Teresa. and yes excellent <laughs> that's why it's logan because wolverine his dog tags say logan that's his real name so yes that's why my skeleton is named logan <laughs> And Jess Wood is practicing some seascapes. And Lizzie has two MFA interviews today, so intense. Do you have any advice for these interviews? I was expecting the intensity, but at the same time, I still didn't feel prepared. Oh, nobody does, Lizzie. If anybody told me that they went to the MFA interview and felt super confident and prepared, I'd be like, who are you? Are you like an alien from another planet? 
interviews are so stressful. And having been somebody on the other side of the fence, we know that. Who wouldn't be? It's across the board. And so people say to me, well, I was so nervous. It's like, yeah, but everybody is. So maybe take that as a slight bit of comfort that nobody goes in there with absolute confidence. It's just not possible. But yeah, speaking on the spot in front of people who are evaluating you is stressful. Tell me in the chat, what was your worst interview experience? Oh my gosh. <coughs> Mine was I was interviewing for a full-time position, drawing position in academia. And I thought this was such an unfair question. They said, what's your definition of drawing? Like, really? You need me to give you a definition? Like, When would I ever do that in a classroom? I feel sort of against defining it because it is such a large subject. And I can't remember what I said. It was something about expression and articulating that through a range of marks. And I remember one of them was almost mad at me. He's like, that's not what it is. It's this, this, and this. I'm like, well, why are you asking? Okay, clearly you had some prepared answer that you wanted me to magically know in advance. And I just felt like that was so unfair to do that. And to say things like, well, but that's this. You said this. And I'm like, okay, dude, just like take what I said, listen, and let's move on. Okay, why do you have to sit there and like criticize that I didn't say what you had in mind? So yes, Lizzie, they're very intense. My advice is to try to let yourself move slower. I don't know if any of you guys have noticed, but my spouse and kids, they've definitely noticed that I have a teaching voice. And when I have my teaching voice, I speak extra slow. Because what I notice, Lizzie, is when people are on the spot at interviews, when they're nervous, which they are, they tend to talk really fast. And the thing is, if you talk fast, you're not giving yourself time to think about what you want to say. And that's where it starts to feel a little out of control. So I tell people, Lizzie, all the time, if you're public speaking, you're doing an interview, speak slower. Because in your head, you might think, oh, I'm speaking too slow. But you know something? It's extremely rare that I will be on a stream with somebody or say with our staff. I never tell them you're talking too slow, but I do tell them very often that they're talking too fast. And so if you go into an advance knowing, okay, I'm going to speak at a much slower pace, it gives you time to formulate your thoughts. And I have found that exceptionally helpful. Same thing with public speaking. I mean, if I'm giving a lecture, having the room to think a little bit more in advance about what I want to do is hugely important because nobody wants to be in that place where you feel frantic and you're talking and you can't remember what you were saying before. It's very, very difficult. So Lizzie, I feel you. Nobody has a slam dunk at their interviews. Hello, Black Sweet Tea. Lovely to have you here. And Eli Dove says, I need to work on drawing hair. It's so difficult for me. My brain shuts off. Maybe I should focus on that this weekend. Oh, hair is really hard. 
I get so many questions about how to draw hair. And actually, that's one of the reasons we have a drawing hair workshop <laughs> coming up in March and April. And I think hair is very difficult because in our heads, we say, oh, it's strands of hair. But the thing is, you can't draw strands of hair. You have to show volume and you have to show texture. It's a very challenging part of drawing a human figure. Tally's asking about making a brand, oh, making a stream of creating a brand as an artist. Oh, that's a good topic. I like that. A lot of that is consistency, actually, because I find sometimes when we've done professional development workshops, like this time we're doing selling and pricing your art, a big problem is that people don't have consistency across platforms. They have different profile pictures on various platforms. And so that's such a simple thing. You guys know we have our red blot logo, but I have seen artists, they have a different profile pic on every single site. And so if I'm trying to look up somebody on Instagram and I know them from TikTok and it's the wrong profile pic, it makes me go, oh, is that really this person? I'm not really sure. But if you have the same logo on everything, it's like, oh, yeah, that's definitely them because I know that logo. So a lot of it is just consistency across the board, which is harder to do than you might think, actually. Being consistent is not an easy thing, and it takes a lot of time. Anna says, how do we share art dare ideas? How do you choose art dares? Or is it the staff that decides? Yeah, we decide together as a staff sometimes. Other times I just come up with something. So it's a range of different things. But the best way to ask would be in the Discord because sometimes here in the chat, it gets lost and I don't have a record of it. So I would recommend telling us in the Discord. That's probably a better place. And... Brian is asking, Gen X, that's me, what do they do with all our history on microfilm? Does microfilm art still exist? Oh, I'm sure it does. It must be in all the Library of Congress, I'm sure, must have that. I mean, I've always wondered because before all of the digital stuff came along, our history was taught with slides. I had to load slide projectors and I had to go to the slide library and pick up slides that I had to return. It was so much work. You have no idea how much work it was. And so with digital slideshows, it's like 0 0.01 the effort that it used to be to assemble those slideshows. But there has to be just mountains of slides in various places and microfilm, I'm sure, as well. Hello, Lou. Lou from Melbourne, Australia. First time participating. Yes, I know time zones are tricky here, but I'm so glad you could be here. Lou says, would appreciate more advice on writing artist statements for exhibition selection. I've tried many times and not selected, and I think it is because of my artist statement. It depends on the type of exhibition. So Lou, if you want to follow up in the chat about what type of exhibition you're talking about, if you're talking about entering a juried exhibition, or if you're talking about a grant application, because the thing I can tell you guys about competitions and juried shows, I'm not kidding. They might as well just pull the names out of a hat. It is completely the discretion of the juror. So if you are a person who paints cats and the juror had a 
traumatic experience with a cat and they hate cats. Yeah, that has nothing to do <laughs> with your artist statement. And I can tell you when I've jury chose in the past, I just look at the work. They don't even show me the artist statement most of the time. For example, I did one where I was actually in the gallery and had all the physical artwork in there. It was like hundreds of pieces. There was no time to read the artist statements. And then another time we were jurying for this fellowship and it was me and three other critics and they just had a monitor that just showed the artwork and we just said yes or no. And that was it. We didn't even go over the artist statements. Now, grant application is different. Then I'm sure they're reading the artist statements. So if you can follow up, that would be great. Oh, I, I love these interview stories, you guys. <laughs> it's just so good to know that we're not alone on how difficult these interviews can be. Sonnet says, I'd like to start making and selling art. Any suggestions on where to start on the Art Prof website? I think the best place to go, I'll show you guys right now on the website. And if you guys haven't been on the website, I recommend going there because you know what? I work really hard on the website and I don't think anybody knows. <laughs> like I'm the only person that works on it. And I like it because it feels like home base for me. And I feel like things are accumulating there, which is very satisfying. But sometimes I'm like, who's looking at the website? <laughs> like everybody watches this on YouTube, which is great. I'm not complaining, but obviously the website doesn't get as much traction. Anyway, where I would do, I go to professional development and you want to go to business and selling. So this is a page with various pieces. So making prints, taxes, merch, art fairs. There's all that stuff. But the best place to start is here. Complete guide to selling your art. And so this is basically an index of all of our content that talks about selling. And so this is really easy. You can sort of see the overview of the various topics that we cover. So if you want to know about finances, if you want to know about merch, and so this page is a little bit different though, because it does actually have written articles. So if you click on LLCs, you can see that I've written a short article here defining what an LLC is. And that is the case for a lot of these other things. So this is somebody else who wrote about an LLC. I believe this is from Trent. Yeah. So Trent wrote this. And so I, I like that we have multiple voices here. So for example, we have an area about commissions. And so you can see we have an article written by Jordan, but we also have one written by Alex Rowe, who used to be a teaching artist here. I wrote one on commission. So this is the best place for you to start because then it leads you to other places. So if you want to do commissions, you click on the commissions guide and you go there. So go to that complete guide to selling your art. And I think that's probably the best place for you to get started. And then follow up with us in the Discord because you can read every single article and tutorial and yet it's also so customized, depends on everybody's particular goals. And we also are doing one workshop on selling one workshop on pricing. Those are in March and April, and all that information is on the front page of artprof.org. 
Retrospective says, what's an art medium technique you dislike least like? Probably, that's a tough one because I, I like a lot of materials. I guess in terms of brands, this is sort of scandalous, but I don't really like Copics, the markers very much. I think that they're too floppy and I don't like the width. So I don't know if that counts, but they're, they're definitely like certain brands. I'm like, I don't like that. Oh, maybe gouache. Or, but see, here's the thing. I think gouache is lack of experience. I just haven't spent a lot of time with it. But gouache has never been a paint media that was that appealing to me. I used to think that I liked blobby, solid paint. But actually, it's turning out now that I like ink better. So who knows? Maybe I'll go back to gouache and try it at some point. Kathy's saying, how do you get comfortable letting go of art you're selling? I'm very attached to mine. Maybe I just need to make more. Basically, Kathy, when you run out of space <laughs> and then you're like, oh, yeah, I can't keep keeping everything. Or if you have to move, <laughs> that's the other option. But if you're not comfortable selling it, don't. Nobody says that you have to sell it. And really, it shouldn't be something that you feel is forced on you. It should be something that you really want to do. Anna says, tips for how much to talk, not talk during studio visits. I always feel like I talk too little or too much. Hard to strike the balance. Oh gosh, it's so hard. I think it really depends on the person because I had studio visits where I barely got a word in, which is fine. I, I sort of am like, okay, good. I have to talk. <laughs> but oh, the worst studio visit I had, I had a curator come look at my work, barely said a word. I felt like I was talking 95% of the time. It was, ugh, that was really painful. And she had a notebook she was writing stuff in, but said barely a word. That was really awful. It was just so awkward. <laughs> and all right, so Lou is following up. Local council galleries have exhibitions, they have fees, judge, acquisition, and themed. Past six years, I noticed they always pick the same local artists. Okay, if it's the same jurors and it's the same people submitting every year, I think that's obnoxious because you, you start to know <laughs> who's who if it's the same juror and the same artist. I think that's really unfair because unfortunately, I hate to say this, but there's a lot of local art communities that are very clicky and people are very territorial. I mean. I've been in situations where I felt like I was in middle school again. I was like asking to sit at lunch with people and they were like glaring at me, you know, like it really can be like that sometimes. So Lou, I wouldn't see that as a reflection of the quality of your work, because if that's a community that's doing that, that's just people really not being inclusive. I think that's really frustrating. But again, it is the whim of the juror. You can have fantastic work. And like I said, that juror had a bad experience with a cat. <laughs> so don't take it personally, really. It's not anything against you. It's, it's just, did the juror like M&Ms or not? And 
Oh, good. I'm so glad, Jody. I hope you guys visit. It always makes me feel really good when you guys tell me that you use the website because it's a ton of work. Slimy, working on artist statements. Those statements are difficult. I think it's harder than making the artwork because it's just not our language. I mean, if we had <laughs> wanted to do that as a living, we definitely would have chosen writing as a profession. And, okay, so Lou is following up. Notice it is very unfair and clicky. Okay, so that's not a community that would be good to exhibit at. And I think you guys will find so much of your artwork has to do with context. There is such a thing as being in the wrong place. Because if, let's say you're in a community and a lot of people really like certain things. For example, in Utah, there's a lot of people who paint the local landscape. And if you're somebody who hates painting landscapes, that's probably not a community you want to try to sell to because they're just inherently not interested, nothing to do with you. And so oftentimes I see people trying to put their artwork in places that just aren't gonna accept them to begin with, no matter how good they are. And so a big part of being an artist and selling as well, we were just talking about that, you have to find your audience. There are some people who will just never ever be interested. And there are some people who will always be interested. So you have to find those people and it's not easy. You have to figure out where they hang out and you can't show up and be like, buy my stuff, right? It's not really that straightforward. And thank you so much, Kathy. Love this community. I so much appreciate that. That stuff adds up over time. Anytime you guys can send us a super chick, the super sticker or super chat, it's very meaningful to us. I mean, our budget is still small enough that I get excited when somebody gives me a $10 donation. I know it's kind of pathetic, but that's how we feel because we are on such a shoestring budget all the time. And <laughs> Eli Dove says acrylic paint is my enemy. We've never gotten along. I hated it for so long, but now that I've started using it with acrylic inks, I realize I like acrylic as a supplement. And I guess I was always taught in high school where I first used it, that you make an acrylic painting. Nobody ever brought up the option of mixed media. And I realized that what I don't like about acrylic is when it's all acrylic. For me, that's not a very fun flow, but I've been using acrylic to enhance acrylic ink. I've used it as corrections for marker drawings and stuff like that. So I think sometimes we have to figure out what is the role we want any given material to have. I mean, some people do 100% colored pencil drawings. Like I can't do that. I'm not that into colored pencil in that way. I happen to like it where I do watercolor and put colored pencil on top. So I think sometimes we have to figure out where that media belongs in our practice. And for me, I can totally do a charcoal drawing at hundred percent charcoal and I'm happy, but I'm not happy <laughs> doing a hundred percent acrylic. And I guess oil is one I haven't mixed with other things. I feel like oil, I do want to just do oil. But again, it depends on the type of work that you want to do. 
And we also have Sonnet, who's not a fan either, drives too fast. Yeah, it has that slow dry medium, but I, I just am a little suspicious. Although somebody told me that they really like it for glazes. So I definitely need to get some because I've seen people use it, but I haven't really used it to any degree of depth within my own paintings. And we also have a comment here. Of course, I lost it. Oh, here it is. Ryan says, you gave the Tombow Mono Zero, it's an eraser stick, a thumbs down and the Factus Generals, the M2, a thumbs up. What about the Derwent motorized eraser? Have you had a chance to use it? I might buy it. I've never used that one before. I've had students in my classes who had it. And when I posted that eraser stick video, a lot of people were talking about it. I never have. I mean, if one of you guys wants me to try it, one of you could send it to me. I could put it on my wish list for the art supply reactions program that we have. So that's definitely something, um, if you guys want to see me try it, I'm happy to do that. I don't know. I just feel like I'm such a manual person. <laughs> I don't like things that are automated unless it's my stand mixer when <laughs> I'm making dough or something like that. But with a lot of art stuff, it just feels a little out of control to me. I mean, I know for some people, it, it just is a better fit. Physically, it's easier for them. I think somebody else mentioned on one of the reels that it helped them because of their disability. And so great. I mean, if it works for you, absolutely go for it. But I think I need to try it now because everybody keeps suggesting it to me. And so now I'm really curious. And Brian's talking about, I've been to artist booths and the R's seemed a bit introverted and not much of a talker. Oh, it's like the world. <laughs> not everybody is super outgoing and happy to talk. And sometimes I feel bad about it because for a lot of artists that does get in the way of them having more visibility. I mean, if you look at a lot of the swanky New York City art world, a lot of it is personalities. Who do you get along with? Who do you connect with? Because people don't like working with people that they don't like to work with. Like, actually, <laughs> I, I love this. Did anybody see, there was a clip on Stephen Colbert last night where he's interviewing Christopher Nolan, who directed the Oppenheimer movie. And there's this wonderful moment where he talks about meeting Killian Murphy for the first time. Because I guess Killian Murphy initially auditioned for Batman, but ended up being in the other film as Scarecrow. But Christopher Nolan said that when he met Killian, there was that instant, we understand each other creatively. And I think that that's a big part of being an artist. Like, for example, I have a staff. If I can't connect with somebody creatively, I can't hire them. I mean, maybe they're a phenomenal artist but they're just not fitting me creatively. So that that is a big part of it sometimes because people do get shows and things because they know people. That's just the way of the world. And we have, oh, TM, this is a good point. I've seen acrylic used as a convenient quick drawing initial block in before painting oil on top. Yeah, oil just takes so long to dry. 
drives me up the wall. I mean, I've been doing more painting, but I'm doing acrylic. And actually, it's funny because initially I didn't like that it dried so fast. And now I think I like it. The idea of waiting weeks <laughs> in between a layer of oil just hurts me because I'm such an impatient person. And yet, oh, oil paintings. Oh, my God. There's nothing like an oil painting. I know there's water mixable oils and all these other options. I'm sorry. I just first love was oil painting. It's very hard for me to <laughs> get over that first love. It's just always there, no matter what. Even though I don't use it, I really don't paint with oils very much. Tiff says, harder for artists to go to art fairs, set up booths, because in the state, you have to have a business license and a lot don't want to go through the hassle. Oh, I haven't really seen that. Most of the time... Well, so here's the thing. Technically, legally, yes, you're supposed to get a sales certificate and you get that through your local Department of Revenue. And that is what makes it OK for you to sell things. But I can tell you there are so many artists that sell that don't have a sales certificate, who don't pay sales tax. I'm sure there are because it's a hassle huge hassle to do all those things, but technically you're supposed to do that. Um, and people don't usually check for that stuff. The one place that did check actually was the RISD alumni show. They were very on top of it, making sure that everybody had their sales certificate, but that was the only time. Some other fairs, they may not care about that. Yeah, so Sonnet, I sort of doubt it because I remember the RISD alumni sale had that on the form. They said, you must have a sales certificate. And if you don't have one, we'll help you get one. That was the nice thing is that if you didn't have one, they made it very easy for you to get one, which I thought was super smart because we should be encouraging people to do that and to pay sales tax. But I know it's very, very tricky. By the way, you guys, because Eli Dove is talking about mixed media on Tuesday, me, Deep D and Mia we're doing a stream on our favorite mixed media combinations. So for those of you who are looking for ways for supplies to interact with each other, that will be a great stream because I definitely have my favorites. And actually, Mia has been doing this thing where she takes graphite powder and she mixes it into her watercolor. And I love the effect. I mean, I'd love to try it sometime, but that would never have occurred to me. Graphite powder and watercolor, like it doesn't seem like a very obvious combination. So I was just really astounded by that. Oh, Teresa is recommending improv classes. That's a really great idea. I feel like I would be really bad at it. Actually, what helped me in terms of being more comfortable speaking was teaching. I mean, if you teach all day, every day. I mean, I taught classes at RISD that were seven and a half hours and you're just talking to people all day. You have to get over it. And for me, teaching actually made me feel more confident because when I was much younger, I was just really shy. Like in high school, I never said anything, but I think it was through teaching that I found my confidence. And so for me, that was very important. Oh, okay. So Tiff is explaining in Washington, Vendors require it to turn it in with the application. Okay. Yeah. So usually whatever place you're applying to show at, 
will say something like that on the submission form that you have to have that. And Iron Earth is asking about artists in the past who formed groups with other artists, the Dada guys, how does that happen today if it does? I think a lot of it honestly has to do with geography sometimes because it's hard to have a group like that if you're all in a different place. I mean, of course, we're living in the post-COVID area, so maybe it's different now, but oftentimes it's people who are meeting up regularly, people who went to school together, people who were went to a residency together. So I found for stuff like that, it really is an in-person connection for the most part, but I could be wrong. I mean, maybe things are really changing now because of the way technology is. But I, I just know fostering those kinds of connections, it's usually easiest when you can do that in person. I mean, for me, that's where the most in-depth conversations really start to happen. By the way, everybody, no Discord chat after Friday Hangouts. I'm probably going to go and, hmm, I'm going to try to not look at Sweeney Todd clips on Instagram. Maybe I'll just watch a better to come about movie. I haven't watched the imitation game in like two weeks. Maybe I need to watch that again. Join our Patreon group. This is where you get to share your art in weekly voice sessions. I write very, very long critiques like this and also a place to make art friends. Thank you so much to our top Patreon supporters. You guys make me so proud. You keep me going even though it's a major hustle and a huge amount of work to do this. But thank you all for supporting us. Art Prof has a podcast. It's available on Spotify and also on iTunes. And subscribe to our channel for more tutorials, critiques, and business tips. Gumby wants you to. He's getting big. You know, He gained five ounces. We weighed him last week. We're very proud of him. He's still very small. But anyway, thank you so much, everybody. I'll see you next time. Bye.